how I wanted to start was, and just get this on record here, um, I mailed you um, a packet of information a week or so ago, and one was a narrator information sheet, and it had a voluntary consent form. Um, you mailed that? You mailed it back? I signed, I signed it mailed it back. Okay, great. I just haven't received it yet, so I'm just going to get on the record then that you're okay with doing this interview, and you consent to that. I consent, and I'm very, I'm very pleased to be able to help. <laughs> Good, great, I'm glad. Um, and then we can talk about the release form at the end of the interview, but hopefully uh, we should be fine with that as well. So um, if, you're, if you're ready to go, we'll just get talking then. All right. Okay. Um, well, I just want to state for the record then that my name is Michelle Marino, and I'm interviewing uh, William Vobach. Is that how you say your last name? Yes, I do. Okay. And um, today is Tuesday, September 4th, 2018, and we are doing an interview via both Skype and the telephone. So, um, and William is in Colorado, and I am in Indiana. So, I'll start with some easy questions of when and where were you born? I was born in Chicago, Illinois on December 25th, 1929. It was not, not what some people would consider a very good present. <laughs> no, I bet not. Um, and what were your parents' names? My father was Arnold C. Hobach. And he was an engineer, a chemical engineer for Sinclair Refining Company in East Chicago, Indiana at that time. And my mother was Ethel Hobart. She was a housewife, a retired uh, school, high school teacher, uh, taught particularly uh, uh, Spanish and French. So. But she was retired at that time. I was the firstborn child. Okay. And how many siblings did you have? Later, I, three years later, I had a younger brother, Arnold Raleigh Hobach, who uh, is since gone, but was ended his career as a mathematics professor down at Louisiana State University. Wow. And so where, where is your family from, or, or how did they get to Indiana then? Uh, well, my mother, uh, her family, some of them date back to the American Revolution. Uh, they worked their way out to <clears throat> my grandfather's, uh, on my mother's side, was uh, from uh, the Mennonites in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and then Indiana. In fact, one of the ancestors there but American Revolution and violated all the pacifist requirements of religion. And my mother's family were from uh, Virginia, and then came to Indiana. And uh, then my father and mother met when at a boarding house when she was teaching high school in Whiting, Indiana. He was eating there and working at the Winkler Refinery next door in East Chicago, Oh wow. Indiana. Okay. Um, like these stories. <laughs> no, that's good. Well, how would you describe your childhood? Uh, I grew up in a suburb of Hammond, Indiana, 
and went to a high, uh, high school back in the building at that time. Uh, I went all the way from kindergarten through the end of high school in one building. Wow. Rogers Clark High School of Hammond, Indiana. And uh, although our, our address and our telephone number were through the neighboring town of Whiting, Indiana, where we had our big football rival, and where my mother had also taught school. And uh, the other thing I could say is, we really considered ourselves suburbanite Chicagoans because um, Hammond is very is right on the state line. I could walk from my home where I had to take a straight line through a, a lake. I could walk to Chicago in 30 minutes. Wow, that must have been neat. Mm -hmm. Well, who were the most... Well, oh, go ahead. Um, you wanted to know about my high school. <clears throat> well, I went to high school. Uh, I was the valedictorian of my high school class. Uh, we had a very good speech teacher, and as a result, we were the Indiana State champions of the National Forensic League in debating and I was the state champion in a uh, uh, couple of things, original oratory and uh, extemporaneous speaking. And then I competed in the national contest my junior year at, uh, of the NFL and came in third in the nation at, up at Northwestern University Law School. They had the contest. Wow. Well, I was, I was kind of predisposed toward public speaking from high school on. Now, did you get that from your family, or, or what kind of drew you to be interested in that? Well, as a kid, I wanted to be an archaeologist, so that, is, that doesn't do much for that. But uh, my, my speech teacher was later, uh, he was going to law school, and I think he kind of interested me in possibly getting into law as I went on. Mm -hmm. but, I don't really know that I want to be a lawyer as I started out, but uh, I finished high school in 1947, um, and then went on to a college in Ohio, Oberlin College, and uh, there I majored in economics. I got a honorary degree in economics there, and graduated in 1951. And uh, then I went to the University of Michigan Law School, and starting in the fall of 1951, graduated in the spring of 1954, and uh, I'm a member of both the Indiana and Michigan State Bar exams. Okay. Well, um, to jump back to high school here for just a minute, and even junior high, did World War II sort of affect your, your education experience or your hometown? Or um, I remember in sixth grade, well, I remember the Sunday that we had, uh, we had we, not listening to the radio in those days, or very much, on Sunday we had to go pick up my grandmother was coming up for a visit. So we did not hear about Pearl Harbor until we turned on the radio the evening of December 7th. And the next morning, in I was in sixth grade, I believe it was, 
we all gathered around uh, a radio in uh, one of the rooms of a teacher, and we listened to President Roosevelt uh, describe the day of infamy. Mm -hmm. I remember that phrase very well. So I was too young, really, to go in World War II. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my neighbors uh, next door was killed on the second day of the invasion of Europe. Wow. Frank War. But, uh, you know, I I did not participate there. Mm Mm-hmm. Did it change your family life at all in terms of your parents' employment or anything like that? Oh, yes. My father uh, was a graduate of the University of Wisconsin in chemical engineering, but he became head of uh, the research laboratory at Harvey, Illinois for the Sinclair Refining Company. He had five patents in his name uh, for making synthetic rubber out of petroleum because of the shortage of rubber in World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a very good engineer and uh, a scientist. So that's really probably the only way we were affected by mm-hmm. the war. Of course, there was rationing and that sort of thing. And uh, I remember we owned a uh, cottage down at Bass Lake, Indiana, which is near... Knox, Indiana, and because of gasoline shortages, uh, he would take us down and we'd stay during the summer part-time uh, in the uh, in the cottage, and he'd only have time to come, gas to come down every other weekend or so. Mm-hmm. Yes. The other thing I remember about my childhood is my mother was from a farm family near Sheridan, Indiana, which is just north of of Indianapolis there. Uh, She was one of 10 children in a a farm family. And uh, so all my uncles, she had seven brothers and they all had farm or farm businesses. My one uncle was ran a lumber yard. But I got to spend the summers down there on the farm when I was a, a young boy helping make hay and do all the good stuff. Mm. And uh, I enjoyed that very much. I, I think very fondly of that even now. Yeah. Well, as a child growing up, um, what were your views, if any, about the state of Indiana or being a Hoosier? Well, <laughs> um, my mother went to Chicago to have me as a baby, but. <laughs> Like the joke, uh, old Herb Schreiner used to say, you know, the comedian from said came to Indiana as soon as he heard about it. Uh, we, were, we, uh, I was back in Hoosierland when I was five five days old, and of course very fond of the state as a result. Although uh, my mother was an Indiana University graduate, and my father was a Wisconsin graduate. So at football time, they weren't, there wasn't that much agreement. <laughs> I bet. In fact, I didn't. I, I'm an armed Michigan, University of Michigan fan as a result of my law school days. But uh, that was a switch over after I grew up. Yeah. Well, how then, um, well, I guess a couple more questions about your sort of growing up in, in college. It, 
In what ways did your awareness of politics evolve as you matured? Is that anything your family talked about growing up? Were they a political family? They were both. They were both interested in politics. My dad was a Democrat, and my mother was a Republican. <laughs> and uh, my dad was in favor of Roosevelt because he brought beer back. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. Then we were we were what you would consider uh, an isolationist family. Uh, and Partly due to the fact that I have a German background, we uh, we did not favor uh, later in the going on. My father became a Republican uh, because we felt President Roosevelt was leading us towards World War II. We were not in favor of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those days, you know, you didn't know anything about the Nazi concentration camps or the Holocaust or any of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were not in favor of, uh, but we did follow. I was, I can tell you, as a uh, six-year-old, I began taking an interest in the uh, Spanish Civil War, which was going on in those years. So I've been interested in international affairs for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Now what? You know, you said you were in public speaking and in other activities like that, but what sort of drove you to then actually apply to law school and pursue law as a career? Uh, well, excuse me. I'm not sure why um, I applied at Harvard and Michigan. It was the only two I applied, and I was admitted both places. But... Harvard didn't give me a scholarship, and Michigan did. Yeah. So that's that's when I went there. And then, surprisingly, about two years after I was in law school, in, at college over in Ohio, my father uh, retired from Sinclair and decided he was going to be a fruit farmer, <laughs> which is a big mistake because he... He couldn't buy the, he didn't buy the acreage. You can't make money as a fruit farmer unless you've got 300 acres of fruit. Mm-hmm. And he, he didn't have that. And so uh, he moved to Southern Michigan and the little town called Watervliet, Michigan, just down there in Benton, in near Benton Harbor. And so that's where uh, the last years in law school. So I was actually a, a native of Michigan for a little while there. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I should have asked this earlier, but what led you to Oberlin College? Um, I'd never heard of the place. And then uh, my, uh, in the junior year in, in uh, high school, uh, Paul Wilkinson, who was our physics teacher, uh, had been over to a uh, YMCA. I belonged to the High Y Club, which was a the Y clubs that uh, were in the high schools. And uh, he was our advisor. He went over there and was very impressed with his experience on one weekend, told us about it. So uh, I applied to uh, go there. I applied also at uh, Harvard, where I was admitted, and at uh, DePaul University in Greencastle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I... A friend, of, a high school friend of mine named Frank Long and I went to Oberlin one weekend in the fall, 
the year. <laughs> Oberlin gets a winter that will kill us, <laughs> kill everybody. But we didn't know about that, see. So I went there. Oberlin in those days, and I don't, they don't seem to get the ratings anymore, but in those days, uh, they and Swarthmore College were considered the two best small colleges around. And so and there are very good ones everywhere, but those were, so I decided, and, and I had a couple of friends when I went down to the Paw who uh, were very, very rivalry-oriented toward their fellow, towards their friends, their former friends in different fraternities. Mm -hmm. And I decided I didn't want to get involved in the fraternity rivalry thing. Mm -hmm. And Oberlin didn't have those. It has no, in those days, didn't have any cars either. You had to ride a bicycle. Wow. So um, that was, that was the, um, that was why I went to Oberlin. Okay. And I had a wonderful experience there. My um, major professor in economics, Ben Lewis, had been the uh, top American advisor over, sent over to London by the OPA, the Price Administration, to coordinate with the British. Wow. And uh, he, was a, he was a real outstanding economist around the country. And he may have been one of the, he was a University of Michigan grad, he may have influenced my, <laughs> partly my <laughs> thinking on law school too. Mm -hmm. But that's, I, I have very fond memories of uh, the days at Oberlin. And Oberlin, by the way, if you've not heard of them, um, was the first, play, first uh, institution in the United States to admit black people the first place in the United States to admit women. Um, I had heard of that. That's that's the main thing I've heard of is studying history. You you hear those types of things. Yeah. It's, uh, and when I went to Oberlin, I was a socialist. <laughs> <laughs> things have changed, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what makes you say that? How did you... Things begin to change. Say that again? Say, when you get a mortgage, <laughs> turns out. Um, well, how did you sort of dabble in socialism, or how did you come to learn more about that? Well, I, when I was over there, uh, there was a. Uh, he was a wonderful guy. He was uh, Norman Thomas was his name, and he came and talked, and uh, I, I was impressed. Mm -hmm. He's a very, very good man. As he, as he told us, he said, I, I don't dare get elected president because we couldn't, we don't have enough people to staff the country. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway. Well, we'll come back to that later, I'm sure. So what did, did what type of law did you want to get into or, or what did you practice as soon as you were out of grad school? Well, <clears throat> because of my speaking experience and, and I, yeah, I participated in all of the case clubs and, and trial stuff like that in law school. I came in and the, uh, we had a competition called the uh, the Campbell Competition for Appellate Competition. And I came in and the, uh, I, the guy that beat me for the finals became the, the dean of Michigan Law School later. So I don't, at St. Antoine, 
I don't feel I was too bad. Yeah. But anyway, um, I, uh, well, I'm wondering, I think the question related to how did I get started as a, as a lawyer? Mm -hmm. um, I was interested in trial law. Um, it's not, not the corporate or tax or any of that stuff. So um, I went with a law firm first, was one of the two most outstanding law firms in Indianapolis at that time was Baker and Daniels. And I quickly learned there that they had too many people ahead of me in line to ever get into trial practice. Uh, one of the men there wanted to make me a, an abstract examiner. Well, that, oh, that, that's, a, that's a killer. I mean, you got to have more interest in following little lines than I did. So I quickly, after about six months there, uh, hired in with a firm called Slamick, Erlock, and Reynolds. Uh, and they were the top insurance defense law firm in Indianapolis. And I spent the rest of my career with that firm. It changed names several times. Last, when I left the, the practice, uh, it was called uh, Lock Reynolds, Boyd, and Weissel. But it was, uh, I stayed with them the rest of my 40 years in the law practice. Wow. I've a book fact about that. But, uh, wow. I'll tell you if you want to sometime. Yeah, okay. Um, well, when then did you get married? Uh, when I was in uh, graduate school, the story goes, oh, this was kind of corny. <laughs> Second year I was in law school, uh, a bunch of guys said, let's go over to the graduate center for the dance in the fall. And it just went the crop over. And they had all these girls there that were entering grad school. So we're standing in the back and things were already going on. And this one girl kept dancing by and smiling at me. And, and so I cut in on her and the rest is history. <laughs> uh, and we were married uh, and have been together ever since. Her name is Isabella. We call her Izzy. She's the one that you've been dealing with trying to make this <laughs> yes. work. Well, she was very and, helpful. Uh, very helpful. She's, she's a math major. Okay. Uh, she got her master's degree in math, which and, is good because she corrects my checkbook. <laughs> That's important. So she was she from Indiana as well then? No. Uh, well, we're both Chicago people, so to speak. She was from the... She was from the wealthy side of Chicago, Lake Forest. Okay. I was from the, the, the industrial side, <laughs> Hammond, Yeah. Um, and did you have children? We have three children. Uh, our oldest is uh, Elizabeth. Uh, she's married. Oh, I might tell you this. All three of my kids are law, law graduates. Wow. And members of a bar someplace mm -hmm. or other. And uh, so um, Betsy uh, was sent out to California after she went to law school at Wisconsin. And uh, she's lived out in California ever since. She's married and uh, retired. And then the, the middle daughter is Marion. And she is married to a hotel man 
She's also a lawyer. She's passed more bar exams. She's she's passed five bar exams, but never practiced law. And, uh, she she lives in London. Wow. Her, her husband has his. He's a consultant for uh, hotel chains. Okay. They were for a long time. He was in London to be. Uh, he was a vice president of Four Seasons Hotels, but. Uh, they were bought out by somebody, and that was the end of that yeah. idea. So he's a consultant there. Okay. And then uh, my third child is our son, William, William F. He's the one you that we're trying to find uh -huh. find me through. And you're, Will, and you're he, William H., right? William Herman? He's William Frederick. Okay. And uh, so he, um, he, he's got a degree in a Bachelor of Arts from Oberlin and then a Bachelor in Science from Washington University in St. Louis in electronics, electrical engineering, and he's a patent lawyer. Uh, he's a graduate of uh, uh, Denver Law School. Okay. And, and you know, when you get to be my age, you need somebody to look after the old fossils. So we moved out here to be near him. He has a practice out here. Okay. Well, how did your family influence your law career? How did they do what? How did they influence your law career at all? Did did that did raising a family affect your practice or anything like that? I don't think so. I, don't, I mean, I obviously inadvertently have affected all three of my children's futures, but I I always counseled them never to be a lawyer. They didn't listen very well, did they? No, they, you know, they were smarter than to listen. <laughs> but anyway, I, I really can't say that I can point to anything that, uh, we never had any other member of the family who was a lawyer. I think the only, only inspiration may have been this civics teacher, Joseph Griffin, in high school, who was going to be a lawyer studying up in Chicago while I was there. And uh, I stayed in touch with him for a while after after he left and went to practice. Mm -hmm. But I don't really know why. Okay. Well, how did you start to become more seriously involved in politics? Uh, I was off to a rocky start. Uh, when, when we moved, uh, the first time we moved out to the suburbs, my wife and I, there was a crusty old Republican precinct committeeman named Gaskins. And Gaskins uh, talked me and my neighbor into uh, working on the election board. And uh, I was made chairman of the election board at his, at his behest. And uh, there was a school board fight that was also on the ballot. And uh, several people who were voting, they were very concerned about the school board vote. And evidently some of the ballots were mis mismarked. It was very clear who wanted to, they wanted. Well, Gaskins decided that, uh, that it would help the political situation if we turned all those votes down extremely incredible choice. And my friend and I, uh, the other man that he put on the board, uh, refused to do that. We let him count the votes anyway. 
Ooh, did that make him mad? He, he told me, well, I'll make sure you never have another job in politics. And I didn't for a long time, I can tell you. <laughs> but um, it, it's all connected then. Uh, years later, we lived out in a beautiful area east of Indianapolis in the country on a, a pretty little creek with I lived on five acres with big, beautiful, old, old trees. Um, the Indianapolis Water Company decided to build a reservoir and run us all out. Oh, no. It was a very bad choice. And I became interested in... The only thing President Obama and I can say we have in common is we both were neighborhood organizers. <laughs> well, there you go. So I organized the neighborhood, and for eight years... We resisted and we we prevailed. They did not build this bad reservoir, and uh, I won't go into that because I have some. I, I get along fine with the water company now, but I didn't then. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's what started me. So then uh, the political people came to me and said, "You know, how would you like to be a precinct committeeman?" Shades of Orville Gaskins, you know. I mean, yeah, foiled again. So, uh, so I became a uh, war chairman, and I was a Republican war chairman then for 13 years. And then from that, uh, they decided I ought to run for Senate. So I ran for the Senate. So I, I didn't quite catch that. So Gaskins sort of blocked your election there too is that what you said or was he out of politics at the time was who out of politics this other man gaskins well yeah gaskins was long gone he was gone by then and i lived uh, i lived a different but he wasn't anywhere near where i lived okay gotcha and, but, uh, the um, the county organization of republicans decided they since i was well known as a, in this neighborhood situation that uh, they would make me a precinct. As it turned out, a, a ward chairman, not a committeeman, I ended up, first job I had was ward chairman. I had seven precincts to, to manage. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, how did you get from your bout with socialism to republicanism? <laughs> I, it must have been a big transition. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I When I got got down to Indianapolis, it seemed to me that um, most of the people that I admired were were more Republican than they were Democrat. And so you just sort of drift that way. It, it, it never was any ideological issue. I get, when I was in the legislature, I was very, very compatible to helping Democrats when they had good stuff. Mm -hmm. Which, the way, was not popular with some of my ardent Republican yeah. colleagues. But uh, you know, I, I've never been a, uh, I'm a centrist, and this, you know, it's it's more the issues than it is the politics. Which means I would never be very good as a political boss. <laughs> Well, who, who at the time when you started getting more into politics, who were your national political heroes? Well, let's see. I liked the 
first George Bush very much. I was an admirer of him. Um, I liked John McCain. I liked John McCain very much. Um, and of the, I can't, I can't say I was ever as ardently a Reagan supporter as a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, but I liked the man. He was a likable man. Um, were there were there local or state politicians, you know, governors in Indiana or other legislators that you really looked up to before you joined the legislature? Uh, I really was not that well informed. Uh, I had I had known uh, Whitcomb, Governor mm -hmm. Whitcomb, for a while, but not really in that context so much. And then, of course, he wasn't around. Uh, Robert Orr was governor when I first went in the legislature. Um, I didn't know uh, Governor Orr. He was from Evansville, and I didn't know him personally. Mm -hmm. It's very nice to me, though. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you you touched on this a little bit, but what finally made you decide to run for state government, and when did that occur? I first go in the legislature. Was it 83 or 82? Yeah, in 82. Well, um, how was it? Out in, um, I was out in Lawrence Township, which is northeast Marion County. <laughs> and um, they, they uh, the uh, fellow that was in charge of things out there was Russell Brown. Russ Brown, and Russ Brown came to me and said uh, that he needed somebody to run for the Senate, and uh, he, he knew of my leadership in this matter of uh, the, uh, I've been a precinct committeeman, of course, for a long time, or I mean a uh, board chairman for a long time, and uh, he said, we're, we're having this problem with a couple of the other people out there and we think we'd like you to do it. Well, I talked to my firm, and they were they were for public service, but they were not really happy with the idea of spending a whole lot of time and you know interfering with work. But they agreed to let me go, do it, and so that's. That's when I decided to talk to a couple of the other folks that uh, were active out there. Doug, Douglas Wade, who was a good friend of mine, was, became my finance chairman. And uh, I had a couple of other people. Um, uh, trying to think of his name. One, one of the people that I had was a uh, cousin of the movie star, Jimmy Stewart. It used to play, and they played in the attic together in Pennsylvania. Wow. But, uh, I can't give, come up with his name right now. There were two or three people that said, yes, go for it, mm -hmm. that I knew who were precinct committee. Mm -hmm. So that's when I decided to give it a shot. Uh -huh. Now, did you have to campaign a lot, or did you have a strategy for trying to win the election? Uh... I don't, 
I had a safe district. Let's face it. It was the voters all there were predisposed to vote for whoever was the Republican. Mm -hmm. So that's that was not a big issue. Mm -hmm. I do remember that uh, there was a group. I think they were really the ones that had bothered some of these other people in them running me, uh, who tried to pull up some of my yard signs and stuff like that. But generally, it was a pretty it was a pretty easy thing to get mm -hmm. elected. Mm -hmm. I will say the second time I ran, I got a, a bigger, bigger vote than I got the first time, which pleased me. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Would. Did you know who the Democratic opponent was at the time? Uh, let's, I, I may be mixing the two up. Mm -hmm. One time I was running against a very nice elderly farmer man uh, who had been a native out there for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. The other time I ran against a real nice guy. He was, uh, he was also a lawyer. He had the distinction in World War II of being the only blimp captain who was shot down by a, re a Nazi submarine. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he was a real nice guy. Uh -huh. I, I never had any animosity towards my opponent. Mm -hmm. I had a little trouble with maybe one of the primary people, but yeah. never, never. Okay. Um, what was most important to you as a candidate? I was as a trial lawyer, and I, I wish to explain to you that I tried only civil cases, not criminal cases. I know nothing about criminal law in the practical sense. But uh, I felt that the plaintiff's bar was beginning to tamper with the system unfairly. And uh, I'll give you an illustration. One of, one of the bills that I tried to pass, which did not evidently pass from the record I've looked at, I went to a trial where in the audience, it was a wrongful death case, and we were defending, and the plaintiff was this grieving widow who had remarried very quickly after she lost her husband. Mm -hmm. And he was sitting out there, you could almost see him visibly counting the money they were going to make oh, in, in, in the trial. And we could not get, oh, and then the plaintiff's lawyer got up and gave you a sad, sad story about her lonely night at home with no long, you know, yeah. went on and on like that. And we could not get the judge to uh, identify the replacement. If they, she wasn't having any, and so I think there was a verdict, and it probably included money on a false pretenses mm -hmm. or questionable mm -hmm. pretense. So that was that was one of the things that was annoying me at the time I went in. So I had a, but the other thing was, in those days, if you're familiar with the old practice. In negligence practice, when I went into the law practice in Indiana, the defense of a lawsuit was that if there was contributory negligence in the slightest bit by the plaintiff, any bit at all, he could not recover. 
Now, I don't think that's fair, even though I'm defending the defendant. So one of the things that I did accomplish while I was in the legislature was to bring in the concept of comparative fault. So the jury has the right to consider in the whole issue the balance between the wrongs on each side and put that into the mix and decide how much, if any, mm-hmm. the plaintiff is. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, really, really contrary to my best interest, but I thought it was fair. Mm-hmm. So did you feel like your your law background and your practicing as a lawyer affected or influenced rather the type of legislation that you wanted to put forth? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and my experience with the neighborhood struggle to save this beautiful valley where we lived made me an environmentalist. Hmm. So uh, if you will notice in all the stuff that that I ended up doing, there's an awful lot of environmental law mm-hmm. that's, that was pushing. Yeah. Uh, well, I would think my two major focuses, as I look at the record, would have been in the fields of uh, jurisprudence mm-hmm. and in the field of environmental law. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, how did you get that message out to the public? Or did you feel like you needed to do that? They could look at your your legislation or your voting or... Well, the funny thing is, um, once you're in the legislature, uh, the, the messages that you... It's not quite the same as when people these days uh, are dealing with federal agencies and mm-hmm. federal... Uh, office, mm-hmm. and they they have to talk about national issues all the time mm-hmm. in order to get elected. We didn't do a lot of that, and so when I was what I was trying to influence was my fellow senators to vote for this stuff, and it wasn't particularly getting out into the issues in the community, although some of these issues in the community was why I had the legislation mm-hmm. that I was proposing. Okay. What was your first election day like? I must tell you, that was one of the things I wanted to tell you as a sort of an interesting. In those days, and I don't know if it's still true, but the first rookie senator that gets a... Are you familiar with the Indiana Senate board, where they have this big board with everybody's name and the red light and the green light? Mm Mm-hmm. The trick is, when that guy gets up and gives his impassioned first speech, and I was the first one that had a bill up, they all vote red. Oh, no. And then, but the, 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 the thing stays that way for a while, and then some of them vote, change it, and vote green. And so I got my first bill passed, but, you know, they're all sitting there watching your faces. <laughs> so they're messing with you, essentially. It doesn't fool the rest of the if the rest of the rookies find out what's going on. It's only the first guy with a bill that gets picked that way. Oh, that's but, funny. So that was my first first story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to tell you. Yeah, that's that's funny. Um, do they still do that? Do you know? I don't know if they still do that, but I'll certainly ask. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah.
Um, hazing. Yeah, yeah, right. Legislative hazing. That's funny. Yeah. Um, well, you won two elections, right? Yes, I did. Okay. Did did your feelings change from your service and in, in the, sort of the first election, or your? What am I trying to say here? Um, did you change sort of your strategies or how you approached being a legislator from your first term to your second term? I, I wonder as I think back on it, if I wouldn't have been much more effective had I spent more time off Senate hours fraternizing with a lot of the, the out of uh, Marion County people. Mm -hmm. I would have gotten more votes on the basis of personal friendships that, that you, the guys that did well were spent a lot of their personal time hanging around with the rest of the gang. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot of cronyism that builds up as you get a, if you're likable and you spend your time working on that, you can get support that I didn't ever really seek or understand. Because mm -hmm. the minute I got done with my legislature, I was back at the office trying to make my my, my billable hours. Right, right. For the firm, even happy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so you weren't able to, you know, I heard, I would hear that a lot of former legislators would go to like the Columbia Club and other places and... Absolutely. A lot of them stayed at the Columbia Club and we'd eat breakfast together. Now, I've been to some of those breakfasts, and I, that's where I realize a lot of camaraderie develops there. When, mm -hmm. if, if you can spend the time after hours and before things start, it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I would have been, I was, I'm quite happy that I got things done, uh -huh. but I, if I couldn't have done more. Sure. I don't, in my day, the uh, legislature was as concerned about the environment as it is and, sh and should have been then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Well, you, you shared the funny story about the first time you passed uh, or trying to pass a bill, but what were you thinking literally as you walked into the state house that first day? I have no memory. <laughs> Yeah. You don't know. You don't know. Okay. Well, how did you learn the ins and outs of state politics? I should explain. Um, my father-in-law died the day I was elected to the Senate. Oh, my and goodness. My wife, and my wife didn't even tell me until the next day because she didn't want to. So I didn't. So I had to go to the funeral. And I do, you know, on the opening day of the legislature, I was not there. I was, uh, I and one of the Democrats newly elected were two days late getting into the, 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 the building. Wow. But no memory of, uh, of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Um, well, so how then, especially because you came late, how did you learn the ins and outs of state government? Did you have a mentor, or...? Well, you understand that uh, there's... A, a, the Marion County Group Caucus, a 
and they will meet in a in a meeting room uh, before every every day or every session. And I'm sure that's where they they, they explained to me where my seat was, which is in the absolute back of the room, of mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. and uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah. No, you, you for a while there, you're just sitting watch. You have already been told that you can submit bills. So I had already prepared a, a whole bunch of ideas mm-hmm. and submitted them to the Legislative Services Agency, which then words them and, you know, puts them sure. in form for your bills. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, well... I, you kind of already answered this a little bit, but I think it's worth asking. Um, how did you communicate or interact with your constituents? Well, you, I, you're invited to every every parade, every meeting, every this and that you can think of. Mm-hmm. And you try to go when you can. Mm-hmm. Take your wife and usually a little prize for them to hand out at uh-huh. the meeting and sort of thing, you uh-huh. know, mm-hmm. and uh, once in a while, you, they would ask you to give a talk. Uh, I, for a while, I was the uh, president of the Lawrence Township Republican Club while I was in the Senate, uh, and so forth, but um, I don't know, how, it, I'm not sure I could characterize how much time I spent in uh, outside political connection. I'm not sure I can yeah. tell you that. Well, I, I guess... I they called for. Yeah. Um, I guess the question really, or, or what I'm trying to get at, was there a lot of interaction between your constituents and you? Did people call you? Did they send you letters? Um, surprisingly little. Mm-hmm. Although there were some people who had the idea that it was like a congressman, that you had a that could take care of their state problems, you know, mm-hmm. go over to the state house and fix this or mm-hmm. do that for me. Yeah. And I'd have to all tell them, we don't have, we don't have that kind of support. I can't do that for you. Mm-hmm. Well, one was he, he just couldn't believe that, that, you know, that I wasn't willing to help him fix some kind of a licensing problem. He yeah. had. And I couldn't. It's just we didn't have the staff. Uh-huh. I couldn't spare the time. Mm-hmm. They don't. I, I was interested. Uh, some Michigan state legislators came down to visit us, and they were astounded to see the Spartan uh, desk we had. They all had uh, state cars given to them. They each had their own secretary. We in the Senate. We shared, four of us shared a secretary for letters and stuff. Yeah. And we all had our own desks and crowded desks upstairs. But Indiana gets by a lot better from the standpoint of expense, or did, than than some of the other states. Mm -hmm. Then the other thing is, you know, we were not full time. Some of those states, they meet right around the clock all year. Mm-hmm. Well, it really came down to that because we'd have summer study groups where you'd have to spend part of the time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Okay. But it wasn't. It was much more Spartan than uh, other states.
Sure, sure. Well, you mentioned the first bill you sponsored because you sort of got hazed with it, but do you remember what the topic was and why you chose that to be your first bill? Must be Freudian repression. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the hazing part sticks out more than anything else. Sure did, yeah. Well, can you describe the regular interaction among the assembly members? I think we got along relatively well. Mm -hmm. um, nobody, as I recall, was ever rude to anyone else. And uh, there, were, there were already beginning to be streams of extreme partisanship. Um, and, you know, I, I will tell you this. I had not realized that um, we mentioned that the matter of personal camaraderie. There is also, as you go along, a developed a sense of, of um, I don't know how to describe it. If you don't have any strong feelings one way or another about something, you're more likely to vote in support of some fellow whose support you want to get, you know, sort of a tit for tat yeah. later. That that develops, and it's maybe not good, but it's very practical because uh, on so many things you don't really have a strong commitment one way or the other, and you're not really really sure what the merits are one way or the other. Mm -hmm. now, not frequent, but once in a while, the factor that comes in is, you know, I'll do it for this guy because I want him to be liking me to do it for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Did that go across party lines even? Um, to some degree, a very, very small degree. Now, in my day, um, and it may be still, if you expected to get a bill passed out of committee and brought to the floor, the, the, the prevailing party, whichever one it was, needed somebody from that party to be listed as a sponsor, a co-sponsor, mm -hmm. maybe not a sponsor, but mm -hmm. a, a fellow sponsor. And so I was, I was probably not as popular with some of my partisan colleagues because I would, for instance, on environmental affairs, there was a lady named Viola Simpson, mm -hmm. who was a senator from Bloomington, and she had some pretty good uh, environmental bills. Mm -hmm. So I would go on with her on one of her bills so she could get it considered. Mm -hmm. uh, I did that some for some of them. Uh -huh. um, but it was always something that I felt that I wanted to. It was a good idea. Mm -hmm. Were there differences between members of the House and Senate? We, we always thought that the House was a bunch of rowdies having a good time. You know, they, they spent an awful lot of the session having fun and doing easy stuff. Where it would not go in the Senate. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. yeah. So was that, were you looking down on them or was it more jealousy? 
sense of superiority. <laughs> okay. Well put. Okay. Um, I was curious, well, I noticed when looking through the seating charts that you changed seats a lot in your time, and I was wondering what was going on with that. I have no idea. The top guys picked this, but there is this, that as your seniority improved, you move forward mm -hmm. to some degree. Okay. And I, I was always... Uh, I, I was very fond of two of the people that uh, I've sat with some, Ed Pease, mm -hmm. whom I hope you will get a hold of. Very, very, very capable man. Mm -hmm. I, the last I heard, he was a, uh, uh, he, he got elected to Congress for one session mm -hmm. from Brazil, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And then later I understand he was a lobbyist in Washington for Rolls-Royce. Oh. Well, I don't know what's happened to Ed since. Mm. I'm sure he was younger, so I'm probably still mm -hmm. alive. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was, well, let's see, uh, another person I liked sitting with, because she was originally from my home county of Lake County, mm -hmm. Lake County, Indiana, Sue Lansky. And I, I believe you told me Sue has passed away. I believe so, yes. Uh, I liked them, uh, and I, I was very, very impressed, a very great guy. Our leader uh, was Garton, Senator Garton from Columbus. He's an old Marine Corps officer, and he had a very gentle way of coming, but he got things done. Mm -hmm. He was always very nice to me. Mm -hmm. Like that. Yeah, and he served a long time, so. Well, uh, and you said maybe he's still alive. He is. I, I've talked to him on the phone, yes, so. If you get a chance, say hello for me. <laughs> I will. I will certainly pass that yeah, along. He was a great man. Yeah. yeah. I liked him. Good. I was thinking of the other people I could tell you about. Uh, I knew Louis Mayhern, the Democrat from That's well, funny. Yeah. No, no question. Well, the, the, the big political boss 
in Fort Wayne, and, and he was, um, wanted them to go on Eastern time and be in line with New York City. Mm. And so Elmer was given the job of selling the, the, the Senate on voting for Eastern Standard Time for the state. So he got up and he gave this very mock serious speech listing all of the reasons why we should go to Eastern Standard Time. And the top reason was because when the cattle were milked in the morning, their farmers should have warm hands. <coughs> and the later time would prevent them to have warm I make fun of the House of Representatives, and then we have stuff like that happen. But it was red. <laughs> yeah. It was red. He got a big laugh. Oh, I bet. I bet. That's funny. And we, and we got stuck with Eastern time. There you go. Um, you've talked, you've touched a little bit on this, but how was legislative business conducted outside of formal votes and committee meetings? You've mentioned the caucus and the breakfast and things like that, but. Well, you know, you, you have time at your desk and they permit people to come up and lobbyists to come up and consult with you. And uh, you have a, the right to tell the desk, I will not receive such and such person anymore or, mm -hmm. or not. I tried to, to let even the ones that I thought were bogus promoters mm -hmm. talk to me because every once in a while you learn something that you didn't know or you could trace down and see if it's right. Sure. And then they change your, your thinking. Mm -hmm. that, that factor is there and it's, I'm sure it's not powerful enough to be like D.C. where, you know, it's the swamp. Mm -hmm. say say it is, but, but uh, you know, it, it was a factor. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I never let um, a, a nice man who, uh, this is an illustration, uh, one of the lobbyists for the uh, uh, beer distributors um, was, a, was, in fact, he was a friend of mine through the University of Michigan Club. He had the job of trying to keep uh, a favorite, uh, uh, favoritist status for um, his business, as opposed to uh, I forget how it was that we could vote to let various uh, distributors have chances. And I told him I was sorry, uh, even though he wasn't making a contribution at all. I could not vote for what I didn't think was the best way. Mm -hmm. He took it well. I said, you've always been very good to me. Let me tell you some people you might, in the legislature, who might help you. Mm -hmm. So I stirred him some of the other people. Mm -hmm. I felt I could do that. Yeah. I was not gonna vote for what, mm -hmm. and he was a contributor. He mm -hmm. had a big well, along those same lines, did you have a sense of how people would vote prior to the actual voting? Well, you knew pretty much. You knew pretty much there were some people that uh, 
weren't going to listen to anything you had to say uh, because, well, they either didn't like you or they had never, never been on that point of view. They weren't sympathetic, for instance, with environmental concerns, or they weren't. Or the, there was another thing, and I will tell you, it's probably still true. The plaintiff lawyer bar has a big influence on the Indiana State Legislature. They give an awful lot of money to the legislature. Mm -hmm. And of course they knew that I was not in their pocket. And so they did what they could. Every Both elections they gave try, to try to unseat me. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were a couple of fellows uh, in the legislature, a fellow named Jim, some good lawyer from Fort Wayne or, or up the Fort Wayne area. No, that's not right. He wasn't from Fort Wayne. But anyway, he was always leading the plaintiff-oriented votes against anything I thought was appropriate. Mm -hmm. But I was, I was very supportive of the judges' pay raises. Mm -hmm. A couple of them <laughs> liked me afterwards. <laughs> to look into that. What, oh, do you remember what about year or towards the end of your service or beginning? I, I remember that it was Ed Pease who told me this. So it would have been either the second or third session. Second, third. It was not the first session. Okay. It's probably not even the, either the third or more likely the fourth session okay. of the legislature I was there. Okay. But, well, during your tenure, what roles did party leadership play? Um, well, the party leadership uh, could uh, pretty well decide what committees you were in charge of or where you were put on a committee. That's important. And then they could uh, they could decide what seats you had in the legislature, and that was important. Mm -hmm. And uh, they could uh, well, and of course they could influence whether you were supported for re-election or not mm -hmm. when the next time came along. You had to consider all of that as a factor of, of importance mm -hmm. to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, w I would say that uh, I didn't ever feel. 
feel that the Bob Carton ever tried to pressure me into doing anything. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was very kind and supporting. When I went to him with something I believed in, he, he kind of helped me get a hearing on it. Mm-hmm. But, um, and, and you must understand too, in my day, the, uh, the Marion County, or we called it the organization, the Democrats called it the Republican machine, but, but, but it, it, was, it was kind of that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don Sweezy was the chairman of the county. He, he sort of gently but firmly led. I never had any problem at all with John. He was always kind to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you, you knew when you had a caucus meeting that if something was needed in Marion County, it was going to be was going to be discussed there. Mm-hmm. And we had we had uh, what five or six people in the legislature uh, as senators who had a piece of Marion County and therefore met in our caucus. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was. And one of the early people I knew was Charlie Bosma. And I was a good friend of his son, Brian, who later, I, w- I backed Brian to take my seat, mm. but uh, the, the powers that be didn't agree to that. Mm-hmm. So Brian made his name as a House of Reps uh, speaker and everything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. You're on. Yeah. Do you ever, are you ever in touch with him? Not yet. Since he's still serving, um, the, since the son is still serving, I'm trying to wait until people are out of office before I do interviews. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Well, what does the public not know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates? Well, I think for one thing, they don't know how different we are from Congress. And I mentioned already this idea that you, that you have a staff that can run around and fix things, take care of agency problems, and so we haven't got any of that. So, so there, that's a big misunderstanding if it's important that they, they should take note of. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I suppose is uh, that there is so much that we need to do that, that does, the, the, does the Indiana legislature still meet only a long session and a short session in, in opposing years? <laughs> See, um, there's almost, a, there was just not an understanding that we weren't there all the time mm-hmm. when they, something came up during the summer or something, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Why can't you go over and do it? You know, right. not a lot, not not a lot of that, mm-hmm. but some. Some. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I I can't think of anything that uh, that they would that would. I I don't think they probably feel in Indiana about the legislature like they maybe feel about Congress. Mm-hmm. Like I've been there, you know, for years, but I. Yeah. Well, did your legislative service affect your family life at all? Well, I, I probably would have had a lot more time to be home with my kids. Mm-hmm. But I, I would, I would stay late after 
after the legislature was over and go over to the law office, which was, you know, just a few blocks away, and try to, to put in some billable hours on my law practice. Mm -hmm. So I, I wasn't home as much as I would have liked to have mm -hmm. been. Mm -hmm. Well, how old were your kids when you were serving? So I'm, I really can't even say that I was uh, deprived of, because the two kids, the two older girls were, were out of school already, and, and the son was in college when I was in the legislature. Yeah. yeah. But we had summer sessions and stuff yeah. that interfered, too. Sure. Well, what was the most controversial legislative issues during your time in, in the assembly? Boy, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I, I can tell you what the stuff that, uh, that I did that, that had, you know, where there was a quarrel. Sure. But, uh, I don't know about some of the rest of the stuff. I made a list of, uh, of things that I, I considered were accomplishments, if, if you want to know about them. Yeah, I, I have that question lined up, so let's move on to that. Well, I, I mentioned that I, I brought in comparative negligence. Mm -hmm. I'm very proud of the fact that I got Indiana to adopt uh, a close uh, model of the federal rules of civil procedure which made Indiana's discovery procedures, for instance, much better. Should I wait for you got a phone call? Well, no, I keep hearing a beeping, but I'm not sure if it's on my end or yours. Okay, I just want to make sure that it wasn't something of mine. It's totally fine. It's the, it's the uh, microwave beeping. Okay, okay. And then I got the, uh, I got uh, certain juveniles uh, classified as adults for certain criminal trials. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I introduced a bill which did not go through, I guess, that did away with the electric chair in favor of the, um, uh, the other, you mm -hmm. know. Lethal injection or pills. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that passed, but evidently it didn't, I don't oh. know. Um, I had, one of the things that I got and I don't see it here in, in the list. As a trial lawyer, I discovered that a plaintiff lawyer has a big advantage over the defense if his doctor is can be the one that says, well, I've treated the patient and I know what I'm talking about. And the defense doctor who said I was wrong has only seen that by court order for an hour. Mm -hmm. So, I got passed, and I'm not sure it's still the law, but anyway, that in medical malpractice cases, nurses, doctors, hospitals, if there is a medical issue, the, the court appoints a panel of, of the opposing counsel to select from a series of doctors which the court lists. Mm -hmm. One doctor who can then make its, his own independent examination of the plaintiff so that the court can draw upon that and read that to the jury or have that expert come mm -hmm. and set the story straight if it needs, or for that matter, help the plaintiff. Sure. If that's what they need, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I think 
that was a very good balancing issue. Mm-hmm. To straighten that out a bit. Yeah. Then I, uh, I mentioned the independent, uh, the Administrative Procedure Act. Uh, I meant. I mentioned the uh, judges' pay. I, I passed a bill to get uh, the judges to appoint masters uh, to assist them. Mm-hmm. I, the probate commission, uh, the air pollution control bill. Then I was very proud of the legislation on uh, solid waste. Oh, I consider I'm, I'm the father of Indiana garbage management. Hmm. <laughs> That's quite a title. Garbage management. Uh-huh. Because I was the guy, you know, there was always this argument, and that's one of the big ones. Not in my backyard, you know. Mm-hmm. We're not going to put this dump in my mm-hmm. county. Mm-hmm. And, and you had to solve that some way because we were beginning to get some serious problems. So I got the legislation. It was a result of a summer study. But I got legislation that sets up regional uh, disposal areas. Okay. And, you know, so that somebody's backyard is going to have it. Right. The least undesirable location is where it should go. Sure. So that was something I did. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know about this one. I, I saw it there. It gives the right to a parent to recover for the wrongful death of a child. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought that was the law before I came in, but evidently we needed something on that. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? My son says he saw an, uh, an article, he was researching, and he saw an article that where I had been interviewed by the newspaper uh, to amend the um, death penalty for children up from 12 to 18. Wow, yeah. And I don't think they do it. We still, I guess, I looked the other night, we still have a death penalty, probably hasn't been used for years. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, it did seem to me it was pretty hard on a kid, only 10 or 12, mm-hmm. no matter how bad he was. Mm-hmm. You know, Right, right. Go ahead, uh, And my frustrations then, as I say, were, oh, one thing I kept trying, I see in all these years, I kept trying to get the right to photograph trials so the appellate court could have not only the written, but the, the photo evidence of how was it presented, how, did, how believable were these guys mm-hmm. that making these points, you know. Yeah. Um, never never got through. Never got through. I don't know, do they permit it now? I, 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 I don't know. know. I don't know. Popular. I know that mm-hmm. a lot of lawyers don't like that. Yeah. Makes them nervous. And as I mentioned, I had an awful lot of good environmental bills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably were passed later, but... Yeah. They just weren't ready. Mm-hmm, at the time. Well, I know you served on um, several different committees. Do you recall um, how you got on to those particular committees? Uh, leadership puts you okay. on the committee. And then as you, 
as you've served for a while, you're more likely to become the chairman yourself. Um, I ended up on the uh, on the uh, in charge of the uh, environmental and consumer affairs committee, mm-hmm. and as a result of that, Bob Garton appointed me to be chairman of the Indiana State. Uh, what was it called? Uh, oh, the. Uh, the Environmental Policy Commission of the hmm. state of India in, in 1988 and 1989. Okay. Two years. It was an honor. Yeah. fact is, to tell you, I retired and years later, while I'm living in Tennessee at that point, hmm. in the mail, here comes the Environmental the Indiana Environmental Impact Award oh. from uh, the Department of Environmental Management, June 20th, 1996. Very proud of that. Yeah, I bet, after working hard on those issues for so long. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I became a friend of uh, the lady that was in charge of the environmental uh, group under Governor By was named Kathy Prosser. And Kathy, her, her, just before she'd been that, she had been the administrative assistant to Senator John Glenn of Ohio, the astronaut. Wow. And uh, she's quite a, I looked her up on the, uh, on the other, just last night. Uh-huh. She's retired and living in North Carolina. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I liked her. We got along fine. I kept trying to get uh, the, the uh, salaries of their experts to be increased, mm-hmm. and uh, it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very important thing to have good qualified experts there. Absolutely. Well, I saw that you also were on, correct me if these are wrong, but the Consumer or Commerce and Consumer Affairs Committee the Judiciary Committee, uh, Legislative Apportionment and Elections, Insurance and Financial Institutions, then the environmental one you mentioned, and then the Commerce uh, public, commerce and Public Policy Committees. Did you like any one of those better than another one? or? Well, my, my natural disposition was to the judiciary, mm-hmm. but I think I liked I, we had good we had good chairmen for all those committees, mm-hmm. good people. Yeah. And, um, yeah, one of them I was surprised on, I, I think it was the last years I was there, I was on the public policy committee. Yeah. I don't remember ever, ever being on that yeah. one. I, yeah, I think it, like you were on a subcommittee, too, like the public safety subcommittee or something. Oh, well, yeah. I yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. Well, what, in your opinion, is the most important work of the General Assembly? I'm, I'm not of the opinion that some people have. Let me start with the, the backwards approach. I'm not of the opinion that the General Assembly is there to keep bad things happening in government from happening. Um, I, I, I think there should be the uh, positive approach to the use of legislative power. 
Um, I, um, I, I don't think that uh, the Indiana system of, um, yeah, I'm torn on the issue of whether we have enough days in session or not. Mm-hmm. Um, they worked us pretty hard, and a lot of the time didn't count it because they called it summer study, mm-hmm. but it really was legislating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, in terms of function, and, and I'm a great believer, too, that uh, so much of the things that uh, currently are viewed as federal issues really could be returned to the states. Uh, for regional differences of point of view. Mm-hmm. Now, I realize that, that that causes all sorts of problems with interstate commerce and a mm-hmm. lot of other things, but there does seem to me to be a, uh, a certain emphasis that, that uh, state people aren't near as important as federal people. Mm-hmm. I think, for instance, our Indiana State Police, as I have known them, were wonderful compared to some of the state police. I, I for instance, was uh, involved in a couple of cases with Illinois State Police where they actually were kind of looking for a little bit of a handout mm-hmm. if they were assisting me, mm-hmm. which shocked me because we would never, never in Indiana have had that happen, mm-hmm. not with the state police. Mm-hmm. So, That's interesting. Uh, well, when did you leave the the Senate? Well, let's see. What I'm so bad on my numbers anymore. It was the last year I was there would have been in uh, uh, when was, was this? I had all this written down. I hope I'm not wasting your time. No, not at all. of the uh, 106th General Assembly, it was probably about uh, June 30th or so of that year. Of, of, uh, I think, was that 1990 probably? 1990, yeah. Okay. Probably, probably around the end of June of 90. Okay. Now, did you I just... Oh, go ahead. I don't really remember how that with what was going on in the rest of the world. Or mm-hmm. Do you, did you decide not to run for re-election or did you run and get defeated? I decide, I could have, I'd be there yet if I wanted to be. No, I decided not to run. I had a very, very safe district, mm-hmm. very safe. Mm-hmm. Well, what made you decide not to run? Uh, a bit, well, I, I was getting a little tired of, the, all the stuff, and uh, my, I was getting pressure from my firm, you know, because mm-hmm. our firm did not did not try to get money out of people because we were in the legislature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Manweiler, uh, who was uh, in my firm, was in the House of Representatives and was a speaker mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. And so, but we did not play it for uh, for money. Okay. So, 
So, and they were after me. They, they didn't seem to understand that I was coming back and doing the billable hours anyway. Yeah. 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 You weren't there at the office, you know. Right. Because I, I was there at night when they were. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, how would you summarize your time in the Indiana General Assembly or as a state legislator? I feel I served a constructive part. Um, I feel I was uh, a centrist who worked with the Democrats when they had good stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel that, uh, oh, well, uh, Evan Bayh was the uh, governor when I was last there. He wanted to make me a Sagamore of the Wabash, but mm -hmm. I already was one. <laughs> so I didn't do that. Uh -huh. But, uh, you know, I I feel like um, it was something I never thought as I, as growing up as a kid, that I would ever be or ever do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I've made some good friends there, and uh, it's sort of dropped out of my life since. Mm -hmm. I, I wish I knew I could remember more mm -hmm. about some. Um, it's uh, and the other thing is, you know, when you move away from Indiana, then you you lose a lot of touch. Sure. Uh, may I do a little bit about what I'm doing since? Yeah. Um, well, I have written books. That's exciting. I painted pictures. <laughs> I, I brought a couple pictures along to show you. Would you like to see? Yes, a definitely. Okay, this is this is a picture. Well, here, hold it up just a little bit. Oh wow, that's really good. This is one. I'm impressed. And here's a cute one. Here, hold it back towards you. I can't see all of it. Wow. <laughs> then uh, I, I wrote a book, my 40 years as a trial lawyer. Wow. That, I bet that's interesting reading. It was for, for kids and family that I published uh -huh. that. I tried to sell this one. When we retired, I moved down to the, the, the lake in Tennessee. And if you're a Yankee and you move to the South, you better know your Civil War. Yeah, I bet. So I, I became a, a semi-expert on the Civil War. Mm -hmm. So I've written a book. See, I can't seem to find anybody who wants to publish it. <laughs> there are a dime a dozen. Uh, yeah, Civil War stuff. Yeah. People are really cranking that out. But it, it's, So had you always been... Or I'm sorry, go ahead. Your, your question is what? Well, I was going to say, had you always been interested in history, or, or just because well, you moved it? I love history, mm -hmm. and uh, particularly military history. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing I started to tell you, well, I could never get in service because I had a heart murmur. Mm -hmm. But um, I've always been a military history buff. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> this Civil War book is a pretty good book, mm -hmm. really, in mm -hmm. my opinion. <laughs> and, Well, of course. And then the other thing that I do, I never as a kid was in theatrics. 
But here at the retirement center, I'm in charge of the play, oh. play group. We do radio plays. We're called the Thespians. <laughs> anyway, so I write radio plays. What fun. And here is my radio playbook. <laughs> I love it. So it sounds so like I, you're keeping busy, certainly. Yeah, I, there's there's a lot there's lots of fun after retirement. Yeah, I recommend. Well, how did you uh, decide to go to Tennessee then, from Indiana? Uh, my my college roommate was a, uh, a a heart surgeon in Cincinnati. But he had discovered this community on a lake in Tennessee, the east, eastern part of Tennessee. Uh, you always think of the Allegheny Mountains. But before the Alleghenies were there, there was an earlier group of mountains that were worn away and became what known as the Cumberland Highlands. I maybe called the Cumberland Mountains. I don't mm -hmm. know. But anyway, there's a lake down there and a retirement area where... Dave, my high school, my college roommate, mm -hmm. uh, had a home, and he's the one that promoted the idea we ought to go down there and, and settle. Mm -hmm. So he retired from Indianapolis down there, and then, uh, as I say, after 14 years down there, it was time to get near a kid. Yeah. So <laughs> keep, keep you from doing dumb stuff. <laughs> right. Up to Colorado. Okay. And I will tell you that uh, you folks in Indiana think that it must be very, very horrible out here in winter because we have snow in April. Our our winters are so much nicer than Hoosier winters. You would we have you won't believe we have blue sky in the winter. Really? Okay? And it doesn't get as cold. As yeah. It yeah. Well, I know when we or I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, when we were in Nebraska, it maybe didn't snow as much, but the wind was so bad there. It was hard to explain yeah. to people in Indiana about the wind, but you're probably blocked from most of that with the mountains. No, we aren't. We get the mountain wind. Oh, yeah. 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 We got wind. Yeah. 30, 60 miles an hour. Yep. Yeah. And the thing is, we're short of water. We're, this is our worry. Mm -hmm. We're not we need the water. Mm -hmm. Everybody's moving here from California and Texas, mm -hmm. and we have the water for them. Yeah. Well, a couple final questions, if you're okay with it. Um, I'm, sure. cu I'm curious about, you know, I, I know you lived in Indiana for most of your adult life. How did the state change over the course of your lifetime? Well, you see, <coughs> I, I can't it's hard for me to characterize Indiana since I lived in specialized areas. I lived in the industrial north. Mm -hmm. I was exposed to the farming center of the state by visiting my relatives down there. And uh, we very we never got much down to southern Indiana, to the pretty part of the state. Mm -hmm. uh, so, our, and in terms of, uh, I would say, I'm just not really sure that I, I have any sense of 
change in the way things are. Mm -hmm. I'm just really not sure. Sure. Well, what about with the General Assembly? Do you think that the Assembly changed during your eight, nine years? Or even in the you know decades after? I don't know how well you kept up with it, but... I'm not kept up with it. For instance, this vice president, we have Pence. I never heard of him, you know. But he was in politics there, probably. Yeah. Didn't know a thing. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of, uh, I would suppose we we had a a um, when I was growing up, there was a, a, a sort of a course the the. Roosevelt administration was popular nationally, and to some degree that carried over to um, Indiana. There was a very popular Democrat governor named Schricker, who Governor Schricker, who got elected several times uh, during my youth. But then there was a period there while, while I was around where the Republicans, at least the first four years, were, it was conservative. There was beginning to be that, that split between the very conservative and the middle conservatives. Uh, and then the last years I was there, uh, the Democrats were doing well. Mm -hmm. oh, uh, and I don't know what it's like now. I mean, so I... I really am not qualified to give you any help on that. Sure. Well, my final question is, what, if any, enduring qualities do Hoosiers have? Well, I, I love that expression. Um, you can take a Hoosier out of Indiana, but you can never take Indiana out of a Hoosier. Uh-huh. And when, when I die, I'm coming back to be buried in Crown Hill. <laughs> So, you know, to me, it's still the greatest state around mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. by far. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. And I'm very fond of. I was very fond of uh, of Tennessee. They're nice people. Very mm -hmm. nice people. Mm -hmm. Tennessee. And I went to school in Ohio. I liked Ohioans. Mm -hmm. I liked the Michigan folks. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy everywhere. Yeah. 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 My. Uh, being, being near Chicago, uh, I think Chicago is still my favorite big city, mm -hmm. but uh, I feel sorry for those guys now. They think really changed there. Mm -hmm. it, it, was, it wasn't unsafe when I was near Chicago. Mm -hmm. Now, they, of course, that might be politically, that might be just a bunch of baloney, but I think yeah. they have a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What? in Indianapolis now, or is there a problem there? I'm sorry, I didn't catch the beginning of that. Is it fairly safe in Indianapolis? I mean, I think, just this is just me from what I've seen on the news and things like that, that there are pockets of Indianapolis where crime is certainly going up, and I, I think that that is gun violence in particular is something the mayor is targeting. I've heard some news stories about that. But I think... Um, 
you, you know, it kind of goes neighborhood by neighborhood. And for, for instance, the, the neighborhood that I live in now, which is near Crown Hill, um, was pretty bad a few years ago from what I gather in terms of violence, but the neighborhood took back control and said, you know, we don't, we don't want that in our neighborhood. We don't want to live like that. And so they've had different um, sort of community action groups or coalitions that have come through and cleaned up the neighborhood. And, and I feel very safe in our neighborhood. We really like it here. Um, but crime has sort of moved to other areas. So I know that that's something the city is, is working on and, and trying to rebuild certain parts of the city, but, you know, it's complicated. And, um, you know, I don't think Indianapolis has the same reputation that Chicago does or anything like no. that, but um, I know it's something that they're trying to deal with. Yeah. The, uh, I would say gun control was not a big issue when I was in the legislature. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would admit right now where I in the legislature, I probably would not, I would not be in line with uh, the standard Republican point of view that the Second Amendment is sacrosanct. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I really think that uh, there's some limits on good, good gun control. Mm -hmm. or limits on guns, good gun control. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, so, I, I was always a bit of a maverick, and uh, I was trying to calculate what my uh, success record was of how many bills and how many things I passed, mm -hmm. and, and I think I probably hit about a third or something mm -hmm. like that. Pretty good. Well, Which is moderate, but, yeah. yeah. When I suspect I there may have been other legislation that maybe you weren't the primary sponsor of that didn't sort of pull up in in what I photocopied. So there may be more out there too that you know was successful. I could not understand why my uh, why my Prince's my bill on the Administrative Procedure Act uh, was not listed as, as a, it was enacted. And the, the solid waste management that I've handled yeah. was an act, I'm pretty sure. I'll look into those and see what I can find out for you. Well, that'd be helpful. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, apropos of uh, our conversation, I may sit down and write write up what I can remember about. If I, I'll send you a copy if please, I, if I. Please if I do. That would be very, very helpful to our project as well, and I'd love to read it. So, yeah. well, I, I mean, I think I've gone through most of all the questions that I wanted to ask, but is there anything we haven't talked about yet that, that you wanted to make note of or, or that we haven't addressed? I, I'm, sure there, I'm sure there's something that, uh, that I want to, uh, it's, it's buzzing, it's people are trying to call either oh. you or me. <laughs> We're on the phone, that's why we're getting mad. Um, I don't know. But it, it, it's, it's been uh, pretty much what I had in mind we should talk about. Um, I, uh, my regrets, I guess, were that the plaintiff's lawyer bar in the legislature uh, didn't enact a lot of my corrective, the, the, my motivation for going into the comedy was I was going to try to straighten out some of the stuff they were pulling. Mm -hmm. And there just weren't the votes there because they, a lot, you know, a lot of 
uh, in Indiana, if you're a plaintiff lawyer and you're not very good at it, uh, you run for judge. Then you get to be the judge. Mm -hmm. And then your sympathies are always pro-plaintiff. <laughs> and uh, I, I was troubled by that. Uh, if you're a defense lawyer, uh, you, you've got a good steady job. You never get as rich as a really good plaintiff lawyer, but it's always there, so you never run for judge. Right. So I, I was I tried to offset some of that factor, but didn't get a lot of it done. Mm -hmm. I'm very glad I was a senator. However, I'm very glad that I had that that chance. Mm -hmm. But I'll this as I always tell people, you know, there's being an Indiana senator was worth uh, that and five dollars for a cup of coffee you know <laughs> there's, there's not much to it afterwards mm -hmm. people mm. they can defer that way yeah that's funny uh, yeah. okay well if you yeah. if you think of anything else you know over the next few days or is if you start to jot down your own ideas and there's something that you felt like you just forgot today and want to get on the record please give me a call and I can touch base with you again in the future as well. Um, well, I'm happy if I can. To, uh, I was just trying to think of a little vignettes about various other legislators. Uh -huh. and I wish I could come up with something. <laughs> I have very, very pleasant memories of uh, oh, uh, Senator Miller from... Uh, it was my colleague, lady was my colleague uh, from uh, East Indianapolis, and Virginia Blankenbaker, who was a very good senator. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, my high regard for Ed Pease. Mm -hmm. I, uh, one fellow that uh, was a little bit... <clears throat> He, he was I, he was my seatmate, but I never thought he was he was he didn't approve of my being so friendly with the Democrats. <laughs> was the uh, was the was the he was an Air Force Colonel before he uh, what was his name? Uh, but he was always nice to me, but he never voted for any of my bills. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think, Air Force. Um... Uh, he, he was from, uh, I think he was from Seymour. Uh, maybe I brought him. Uh, Joe, first name Joe, um, I think. Uh, Somebody's trying to, one of us. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, oh, was that Zakas? No. 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 Oh, yeah. Joe Zankus was a friend of mine. He was uh, elected the same time I was. He was mm -hmm. from South Bend, which was a risky job for a Republican. Yeah, he's still in the legislator. Legislator. Yeah. Even now. Yep. Well, by now, he must be fairly well up, up the ladder. Isn't yeah, he? I would imagine so. Well, I can't seem to find mm -hmm. the name. Yeah, I'm sure it'll come to you later, probably. But Joe is still there. Mm -hmm. uh, a good job to be able to hold on the South Bend. Yeah. Pardon, 
I liked was Frank O'Bannon, the Democrat. Mm-hmm. Later, I he ran for, what was it, governor? Or yeah, mm-hmm. Like. Yep, he did in the late 90s. And uh, another one I liked was uh, uh, Joe O'Day in, uh, from Evansville. Mm-hmm. He was Brad. The guy that uh, always was for the plaintiff lawyers was uh, Jim Butcher. Okay. From, uh, he, he was, he always opposed my bills because he, he was for the plaintiffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, isn't that funny? <laughs> Not finding that name. Well, he was my seatmate later. Well, I saw later on while you were there. Let me look at the chart. Towards the end here. Not, uh, Corcoran? Yeah. Corcoran? Corcoran. Yeah. yeah. Corcoran. Very conservative. Mm hmm Yeah, that's funny. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Bill. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day, and I'm sorry we couldn't get the Skype thing to work out quite the way, but we uh, we rigged it ourselves, and I think we've got a good interview here. And I certainly appreciate the work you're doing and enjoy talking to you and uh, would like a copy of whatever you come with. And I, if I write... If I write up something, I'll mail you a copy. Please do, and I'll make sure to send you a copy of the transcripts as well when I get those done. And you should get that uh, authorization in the mail. Okay. And I'll sign too, okay, so. that sounds good. I'll keep my eye open for that, and I will make sure to, to check in the mail. So. Okay. Okay. Nice to know you. <laughs> you too, and please be in touch if, if anything comes up, and take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. <laughs> bye.